Hey everyone, this is Tony Holbein. You are listening to The Revenue Formula. In today's episode, we are going to uncover what is buried deep in IPO filings of companies like Datadog, Asana, Toast, and Snowflake. We actually found three main items that are the same across all of these, and we're gonna break it down for you today. Enjoy. Mikkel, nice, nice to be here. Uh be back in Denmark, back in the studio here. After, I gotta say, we had it all planned out. Everything was perfect. I brought a super uh, sophisticated weirdo microphone the that Zoom. you and Bart bought. <laughs> um, and everything was there and it was, we were ready to go. Uh, but then I checked the Wi-Fi just, you know, a couple of days earlier and I was like, this is, this is not going to this is not going to work. Yeah, it's so like, let's forget about it. I saw your Slack message Sunday. Yeah, it's not going to happen. I can't even watch Netflix. Yeah. And I told Ruf, I was like, Netflix? What is He's on holiday. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I was really happy that Olaf could jump in. Yeah, he wasn't. Um, no, he was He was. He was kind of semi. He, he had like a... <laughs> his, his comment was, I did not perform. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Pip, we should put yeah. it on a podcast. Exactly. No, it was um, fun. But, you know, happy we could keep it out. Happy we didn't uh, miss the streak here of, of yeah. missing week and stuff. Because that's not what we do. No. We are professionals. And it uh, worked out. So wonderful. Yeah. Uh, but also wonderful to start talking to you again. Yeah. I mean, we only recorded once when I was back from my long break, paternity. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, you're already leaving. You don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. No, but it's good. While you were kind of busy, I don't know what you were doing on your holiday. I'm re- imagining relaxing slash working. Yeah. Uh, slash kids. Yeah. I was busy reading a bunch of stuff, which wow. we're going to get into That's today. That's a change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I never read. No, 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 no. Um, I was reading S1s. What is an S1, Mikkel? And an S1 is basically a document that a company creates when they want to go public. Mm-hmm. So they have to disclose a lot of information. And basically what we're going to do today is expose a bunch of the things I've learned through reading through this stuff in terms of how they grow their business, why they're operating, you know, as hyper growth companies, what is it they've done? Yes. And you know, to be uh, to be to be straight, right? Everyone can access those mm-hmm. as ones. They're public information. Uh, they're basically being created when you want to go public in the U.S. So, kind of, if you want to file for an IPO, initial yeah. public offering in the U.S., you need to provide an S one document where you have tons of information about your business. And it, it provides you with an opportunity to also spin that information. It mm. doesn't just give like your uh, your annual statements and then borrowing stuff like that. It, it also allows you to uh, show uh, metrics mm. that are not financially audited in that sense. You can you can define those metrics in there even. Yeah. Kind of you can do some trickery in this. But you can also uh, spin a story around it. Yeah. Uh, and it's basically... Uh, a data, very data-driven pitch. Mm. Usually it's written in a very boring way, right? <laughs> well, um, it's kind of a sales pitch, actually. So a very be, long sales so pitch. To be honest, I totally know what an S1 is. I've never read one, yeah. though. Um, and uh, <laughs> so that's why I was like, uh, tell us more. You yeah, know? give me the cliff notes. <laughs> yes. So if, if any of if any of the ones listening are interested in S1s, you can... How, how do you how did you find the S1 Google. for... Google. So you so, just say S minus one and then copy yeah, name? Yeah, I, I literally did S1 Snowflake, S1 Datadog. And you'll get it as the first result from the SEC, sec.gov, yeah. uh, I think it is. Yeah. Um, and it's so it's a public document available to anyone. And SEC is the Stock Exchange Commission, exactly. I think, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, wonderful. I think last point to make on the S1 is they've 
those go through rigorous auditing. So it's not, you can't really, you know, treat, treat, no. <laughs> trick your way around it. No. Uh, it's, it's pretty legit. Yes, and, and then kind of the, the alternative to an S1 are the uh, the, the quarterly earning calls mm. um, where you can basically you can basically listen to the CEO of that company. Yeah. I mean, you can do that for Microsoft. You can do it for Google. You can do it for any any company that's public in the US uh, that has to do quarterly earning calls. You can literally listen mm. to the sound file. I'm not sure if people know that, actually. It's also pretty boring because yeah. it's all super scripted. Yeah. And then it's a... Uh, I've listened to some of those actually, um, and it's a it's a really I mean it it is a phone call kind yeah. of setup. It's not it's, not it's not it's not yeah, <laughs> um, and you basically hear analysts, um, you know, then uh, go online and ask one question, and yeah. then you know there's a, anyway. So there's there's a, a bunch of different cool ways of how you can actually figure out what's going on with mm. some of those awesome companies. Uh, I think very few go through this lengthy process of actually listening to it. Yeah. Uh, but you did. So I let's, did. Let's let's and dig into it. I, so I focus specifically on on hyper growth companies and mm -hmm. the top 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 performers. And just to give you a taste of what it looks like, they have a hundred and twenty four percent net dollar retention rate. So actually north of that yep. on average, they have seventy three percent AR growth year over year. And pretty much, I found they do the rule of eighty, not the rule of forty, which yeah. is which is crazy. Um, so so they are growing at a very very rapid yes. pace. So one twenty four net dollar retention means you have uh, one dollar in revenue this year, mm -hmm. and by the end of the year, you have one point two four dollars in revenue without quote unquote doing anything about it, right? So this is the net dollar retention piece. Um, you didn't need to acquire those; uh, you kind of get it from your existing customer base. And then the rule of 40 and rule of 80, I don't want to go into details with this right now, but it basically, um, you know, meshes together how uh, profitable you are as a business and how much you're growing as a business. Mm. Yeah? Uh, th those two things are basically baked together. And it basically means if you are burning a lot or if you're very unprofitable, that's okay as long yeah. as you're growing a lot. Yeah. If you don't grow a lot anymore, you need to be way more profitable for this to make sense, right? Yeah, yeah. And the the... Standard is like 40%. So you basically, um, uh, you don't burn any money. So you're basically at, at zero. Then you still should be growing 40%. Yeah. That's how this works. But these guys, you're saying, uh, you know, in the rule of 80, they're close to basically not burning anything. They're yeah. almost profitable and are still growing like crazy. Uh, 73, <laughs> 75%, yeah. right? It's, yeah. it's absolutely bonkers. Yeah. So um, disclaimer. This is not investment advice. This what advice did you study for again? What's your, what's, what's your, what's your master, master line called again? Uh, innovation and business development. Yeah. So it's not finance anything. No, no, exactly. So Mikkel doesn't know anything. I don't know anything about that stuff. Yes. But I basically try to distill between those companies like Datadog, Asana, Toast, Snowflake, Freshworks, yeah. all those really hyper-growth companies. What are some core takeaways? Anyone who is a revenue operator, a revenue leader can take away and learn. Yep. It's not going to be something you can just plug and play. It doesn't obviously work like that. Yep. But there are some really important takeaways that we're going to get into now. Let's and go. the the first, first thing I noticed, and this was across all of them, there were not one case where this was not happening. It was very clear that the business was structured to generate negative churn. Yep. Which is just... And I remember us having had conversations uh, back in the day at, at Falcon around, oh, should we focus on churn? Should we try to, you know, reduce the, the churn we have? But if, I always felt like it was such a big mountain to climb. And then seeing these companies that have negative churn, you're just like, why can't we do that? 
Yeah. Um, and it's because they structured their business to achieve it. Yeah. And obviously, why is this so so interesting? Again, right? So you want to grow 75% year over year, which is basically their case. Mm. Um, but 25% points out of the 75, you don't need to acquire new. You don't need to have yeah. a sales team and a marketing team and dollars to kind of get all of that stuff. You get it from your customer base. Sure, there's still uh, work you need to deploy in order to extract that. So don't get me wrong. It doesn't come for free for free in that sense. But basically, um, the the fifty percent growth that you need to do on top now is, is much, you know, it's much smaller. It's right? easier. <laughs> no, but but take this in comparison to someone that maybe has um, net dollar retention of ninety percent. Yeah. Right. Suddenly, instead of um, uh, you know growing seventy five percent by only fifty percent new biz, you would now need to do what is it eighty five percent growth mm. in new biz in order to get to the same number. And that's like a much more expensive to achieve, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So that was a, a, a huge takeaway. And, and I think the other one I noticed with the setup is then when you have negative turn, you can really focus on just landing mm-hmm. accounts because you know they're also going to expand, which was really, you know, really cool to see actually that they've been very intentional. And this is very much the the pricing and packaging. So when you think about even Asana as a, as a case, they have a freemium model. Mm-hmm. And I get that's pretty unique, Right. Um, but they've clearly structured their pricing and packaging in a way that would expand accounts. Mm-hmm. And I think some of, so this topic also very much coincided actually with uh, some of the net retention hacking that uh, yeah. you and Olaf actually talked yes. about, right? And I think on the pricing and packaging, there really was this um, find a, a easy way in, like low ACV and then build it out. And mm. uh, that could either be based on start with three users and then build from there. Yeah. Or it could be start with an easy use case um, for one department, then expand into other departments, right? And that's kind of both baked into um, uh, you know pricing and packaging, and then obviously results in some of that um, you know awesome net dollar retention. Yeah, and I mean they also have a strict focus, you know, on can, how can we expand our customers. So they have built out motions to effectively do that, right? So they they will look at can these customers adopt more of the same product, mm-hmm. or can a different department at the same customer by, mm-hmm. you know, either the same product, but or even another product in some cases, which is just um, pretty pretty cool as well, right? So it enables different motions all yep. of a sudden that, that at least for me, I've not experienced myself in this way. And so so I didn't read these as once, and I'm not sure if it's sometimes in there, but um, so... Have you have you noticed whether or not they're using uh, M and A, so mergers and acquisitions, oh, yeah. so buying That's... companies in order to leapfrog some of those, uh, you know, features and or products that they want to add on to their existing customer base? I mean, it hasn't been explicit that they wanted to or have made M and A in order to have another use case they could mm-hmm. go and sell. But it's very clearly been been stipulated in pretty much every single S one that they wanted to use some of that cash for mergers and acquisition. And I'm pretty sure. When you've built your business model in this way, you will look for complementary product yeah. to unlock these things. So, so one one anecdotal story on the side. So, ServiceNow. I'm not sure if everyone is familiar with them. They mm. are massive. Yeah. I think they had you know a billion dollars in ARR or something like that. They have you know they have a gross retention rate of 99. <laughs> percent <laughs> Think about yeah, that. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so what they so and so the reason I know is because um, you know I've been close to some of that uh, before. But uh, when they acquire a company, they obviously kind of do it with the intent to sell it into their yeah customer set yeah. right. 
Do you know what they do? So they, they buy this company, might be 10 million, 20 million, whatever in revenue, they pay whatever money for it. And then they literally churn all of those customers with the acquisition. They don't wow. want to have any of the baggage of this like <laughs> 20 million, who cares? Uh, they don't want any of that baggage. They want to have the product, the technology. Uh, they're probably going to tweak it a little bit, integrate it with their own thing. And then they basically take that technology and sell it into the existing customer base. They only do this whole thing for upsell purposes. Yeah. They don't do it for the 20 million or so that they acquired in, in the process. <laughs> it's it's pretty insane. I think it's you need to be big enough to you know to be able to afford something like this. Yeah. Um but uh, this is this is kind of what what they're sometimes doing. But I think it's also just cool like if if you go and read now some of these as ones they're going to be 3 years old. And obviously yeah. things has happened after so you can go and look what acquisitions have they made? What products have they developed? And I think it's very clear, again, back to the whole point here, being they've structured their business to do this. Mm -hmm. It's There's a lot of thought and intent behind it, which yeah. I think is, is is pretty cool. Yeah, and I think that that is, you know, breaking it down to the, you know, uh, 5 to 50 million uh, ARR listeners that we might have here. Um, I think what um, what this tells me again, and, and uh, Mikkel and I actually recorded a podcast episode on this topic but we never published it because mm. we weren't happy about it um it's um it's Strict that quality control yes it's that net retention rate and churn you know a lot of people especially on linkedin trying to make this a you know marketing sales and sales problem and it's like first of all it's not a sales problem you know yeah. that's a boo-boo you're not allowed <laughs> to say this anymore it's it's a sales problem it's a marketing problem and so forth i think what it really is is a strategy problem yeah you know, and I think the way that these companies are attacking this is a, is a very clear, clean cut example that this is a strategy problem you need to tackle, right? So really, when you think about it, you will have, if you're selling into specific segments or uh, departments, you will you will get that industry inherent churn yeah. just out of out of that, right? So for example, if you're selling to SMB companies, you will have a higher churn. Period, mm. right? This is why, by the way, Toast, they're selling to small restaurants and so forth. It's absolutely crazy that they have those net retention numbers. And, you know, for example, if you're selling to teams like marketing, you know, marketing is, <laughs> they buy a lot, but they churn a lot as well, right? Or if you sell to agencies, or if you sell to, you know, I don't know if, you know, yeah. another good example, but but basically you get this inherent industry churn out of these things. And the, the way to react is to be extremely strategic about it, right? Yeah. So, and, in the SMB case, uh, you need to be super smart about pricing and packaging. Kind of how can you get people in and then, you know, have triggers and, you know, upsell them over time. I think that's what Toast is really good at. Mm -hmm. um, but then you have someone like Asana who basically started out the journey also in the SMB. It was a project management tool for SMB, right? In the very beginning, right? Um, I think if I remember correctly, uh, the predominant amount of uh, business for Asana, yeah, it's still a freemium, but it's enterprise. Mm. They have like a big, Asana is basically an enterprise uh, product and company today, right? They came from somewhere completely different. Uh, and obviously, if you make that strategic shift, your net retention, your gross retention numbers will go with it, yeah. right? Um, and that's why, again, right, it's, uh, you know, tackling this net retention rate. I think tweaking it to go from 80 to 85, you know, in gross retention rate or go from 95 to 100, optimizing that stuff, I think you... You can achieve that by uh, marketing, sales, and CS excellence yeah. like together. Don't get me wrong, but I think um, doing like you know uh, changes that are 25, 30 percent points 
I don't think you will get this by just more line sales marketing no. and CS, you know. And I, and the way I've heard it in the past, maybe just the last point on this is the whole, oh, we need to make the product more sticky, mm. right? So sure, maybe Datadog and Snowflake, they are more sticky inherently mm. once you've really plugged it in. Asana is not. It's it's not as sticky, right? And I think it's just again, you can focus on trying to make the product more sticky, mm. or you can try and make it more expandable. Yeah, I mean that. There are thousands kind of different ways about it. I would argue that um, if Asana has rolled out to more than 50 or 100 employees in your organization, I think it's pretty sticky. Mm. I think it's pretty sticky. Obviously, Snowflake, you build everything on top of that thing. So, you know, have fun ripping that out. <laughs> um, and Datadog is really a data observability, right? So yeah. I think, um, and, you know, I recently was on their, on their website, actually, and uh, went to their pricing and packaging page. Complete gibberish to me, by the way. But I think they have 30 different products. Yeah, they have a lot. It's crazy. <laughs> so if you think about it, yes, you buy one one product and then, oh, you know, it's kind of there. Let us let me add the other ones. Let me add the yeah, other yeah. ones. And now you're five products deep. It's like, okay, I would need to replace this now by installing three or four different competitors yeah. to kind of get the same thing. You, you have that stickiness. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that was number one. Pretty, I was... When I saw that connection, I was like, oh, this is pretty good. Yeah. So number two was actually also quite interesting. What I noticed was they all had multiple sources of revenue. Mm -hmm. And I'm not just in this, in this case, I don't just mean, you know, oh, they have from Germany and they have from US and they have, no, no, they have very different segments that they acquire revenue from. They have very different motions that they use to acquire revenue. So it's not just very one dimensional you know, we have this one product for this one segment. They've really built out their business to be able to attack in multiple places, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think what, what this means for me, right? So um, first of all, uh, multi-segment, multi-product, multi-geo, mm. multi-motion. Yeah. I mean, there might be another dimension we're missing here potentially. But what that basically means is every company starts as a single product company. Yeah. And then when you, uh, this is what you have when you do product market fit. You're high-fiving while well, we have one product that fits the market, mm. great. Then you go through the next stage of, okay, how do we bring it to market? And usually you will, you know, if you achieve it, usually we'll have one channel, one motion that kind of works to one segment and so forth, right? And what, what these companies have done is to add to this, you know, build out this matrix. Yeah. They did it, that yeah. almost, you know, you basically have a matrix of, Segments, so SMB, mid-market, enterprise. You have a matrix of, you know, channels you attack them by. You know, let's just say PLG, inbound, outbound, yeah. whatever. Um, and then, you know, now it's a cube. Uh, <laughs> then you have, then you have, uh, what am I missing? Your different product lines. Yeah. You have your different product lines and so forth, right? Um, and then, okay, each combination is one thing that we would call product market fit and we would be high-fiving about this, right? So what, what this means is two things. Number one, none of these things, you know, you, you don't deploy them and suddenly it's a hundred million business again no. by itself. All of these things are S-curves, right? Uh, you start out, you attack a new uh, combination of product, segment, and channel, if you will. Mm. Um, and you need to figure out how does it work. And obviously you can piggyback on some of the existing infrastructure you have. Um, obviously you have learned some things already. Um, obviously you have a brand that helps you. And there are a couple of other things that make it easier than to have like a cold start yeah. product market fit problem all the time. 
but it still also means that you need to invest and you won't receive the revenues from it immediately, right? Mm. Kind of, it's, this is the shitty part of the S-curve. Yeah. Um, but as you layer all of these things on top, you basically kind of then get that that acceleration going, right? And I think the the opposite of that, so, okay, cool, isn't everyone doing this? Well, the problem is that uh, a lot of people either uh, think that the one S-curve that they have mastered is, uh, you know, the neck is a little bit longer than they thought it would be <laughs> of the S. Um, but it's um, uh, sometimes it's just not true, right? And then yeah. kind of you start tapering off, yeah. right? So what do you do then? And and obviously you can then add another channel and you can, you know, all of that stuff. But basically you really need to um, do all of these things again and again and again and very consistently, right? Yeah. And what I think is extremely stunning is how good those companies got at that stuff, yeah. right? When you think about it, figuring out a version of product market fit, go to market fit at an organization that is a hundred million ARR for a tiny shitty product that sits somewhere in the corner and then actually get it to be its own 50 million, 100 million yeah. revenue line. Yeah. It's pretty fucking insane, yeah. right? Uh, and again, kind of HubSpot recently saw a, a breakdown of their revenues and sure, the um, marketing automation piece of Hotspot is still like 800 million in ARR or something like this. Mm. Uh, the sales piece now is at 400. Yeah. You know, this was, <laughs> everyone was laughing at the CRM thing a couple of years ago. And basically, um, uh, you know, it was tacked on for free to your marketing automation yeah, uh, thing, yeah, yeah. right? Um, and then their CS piece is now at 100 million. And then they have this ops piece is they don't disclose because it's probably at like, Five million or yeah. something kind of, you know, not good enough for the plus one billion in revenue that, that HubSpot has, but that's how you do it. That's yeah. kind of how you add things on top. And that's, you know, the uh, uh, HubSpot wouldn't have been able to cross the one billion line. You know, think about it like this. HubSpot wouldn't have been able to cross the one billion revenue line just with their, you know, market leading marketing automation no. solution. It wouldn't have done that, right? It needed to have the sales piece, needed the CSPs. And, you know, guess what? Uh, their churn probably plummeted whenever they were able to install the sales piece and the CSPs and suddenly they got more sticky, harder mm. to rip and replace and so forth, right? So these things then, you know, work really nicely together. Yeah. No, I think it's super interesting. And I also heard, I think it was Jason Lemkin from Sasta talk about, so Zoom, they got the COVID boost basically. Yeah. And then what happened after that was not a lot of growth compar comparatively, yeah. right? And why is that? And his point was, well, they got propelled so so much forward that they didn't have enough product you yeah. know ready to actually you know have another s curve start yeah. to pick up which is you know so i think it's i agree it's having a platform play is what it ultimately becomes and you know have, having a plan for building out these additional sources of revenue not just how can i get more of the same customer but how can i get the customer right over there or maybe yeah. it's an, another department making it that leap easier and it's actually funny that you mentioned zoom so when when zoom started i don't know when it was like six or seven years ago i'm not sure or 10 i don't know mm. basically it was z o o m right and that was the logo if you now look up the logo and um, it's not everywhere it's i think you need to kind of start the product actually it's now zoom with like uh, five or six or seven different O's. <laughs> and each O has its own product icon in there. And basically kind of, yeah, it's not just video uh, video conferencing anymore. No. It's like 20 other pieces or six, seven other pieces here yeah. um, that they basically kind of build out in order for you to kind of use it. Yeah. So multiple sources of revenue, also pretty good one. So the last, last takeaway I wanted to share in service is 
they all had a plan for what's next. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's given when you do an S1 and you want to potentially get investment, you need to talk about what are you going to do with that money. So that was obviously very clear what a lot of them was going to do. And there were some interesting findings. So Datadog, their penetration outside US was tiny. It was very clear they had been strictly focused on US. I mean, sure, they've probably focused on other markets, but not to the sheer degree mm -hmm. that they had with US. So huge opportunity for them to do something. And I'll bet you they had a plan back then for how were they going to deploy that cash? Where were they going to go? What were the requirements if we go into, let's say, DAC? Is, what does that mean for, for our business? Any kind of regulatory kind of things, right? So all of them, they had a plan for what was going to be next, mm -hmm. essentially. Yeah. And I think, so, I mean, you, you, you mentioned already, and I think that's at the core of this one is that, hey, this is a pitch deck. Yeah. Just written really shitty, um, <laughs> and uh, and obviously the pitch deck needs to include where's growth gonna come from yes. next, right? What is the awesome next opportunity? I think um, you know if you have C level folks listening, I think the uh, this is an important pitch, obviously for your next funding round and so forth. Kind of what obviously what not only what I'm gonna use the money for, but on a strategic high level, where do you think uh, revenue is gonna come from? Yeah, right, and. Um, and if you then think about, okay, how does that then land on the operational layer? Well, there's a lot of, you know, breaking down that needs to happen to figure out how to then actually, you mm. know, achieve that in the end. And I think you and I talked about this a couple of times in like the uh, top-down, bottom-up matching. Yeah, I yeah, forgot yeah. The, the episode. Maybe kind of, you know. <laughs> we'll cut it in or something. We'll cut it in or something. <laughs> um, and um, I think the, um, what, what I think is, is cool operationally here is they already then started to a degree to say like, hey, we will need to add another S-curve here pretty soon. Yeah. That means we, you know, we, we will, we are looking forward to the nice inflection point of the S yeah. to see the growth coming out. But we also know it's going to take some time to actually get there. We also know that the investments uh, that we're going to pull into this, yeah. we won't see the return of that immediately. It's going to take some time to get to that point. Um, and basically kind of have a clear understanding of the delay that comes out of the cash that's being expanded in order to achieve it with a clear hypothesis on how that's going to, you know, come back and, and drive growth eventually, right? Yeah. I also would say that since all of those companies went public a couple of years ago, you don't have this, um, at least in these S1s, you don't have this strong pitch on efficiency and and and, and profitability potentially in there. I'm no, not true. quite that's sure. No, no, that's shifted after. Yeah, for sure. so it's very much, very much top line uh, focused, right? Yeah. Um, so that's why also the story here usually then ends up being very top line oriented, mm. right? I think if there's one thing that, um, uh, uh, that I think is, you know, for those folks is a little bit more second nature, um, for for teams that are you know uh, smaller and earlier, is a bit forgotten, and I mentioned it earlier already a little bit, is really kind of to think about strategic M and A here. Um, mm. And um, had a cool chat with someone recently um, that I think they had like twenty or thirty million, and he has kind of investment banking background, so that was he was very, yeah, of course M and A, mm. right? That was like not a question, and. Um, he was very, very pro and I was like, hey, you know, the M&A that I've been doing and that I was, you know, I was sometimes the acquirer and the acquiree, acquiree <laughs> the at the acquired. same time. The acquired, something like that. Um, 
you know, it's pretty risky. I mean, you have like a 50-50 of this thing working out or not, and we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars sometimes that change yeah. hands. And, um, you know, would you really recommend that to early stage teams, right? Um, even if they had the equity and the and the cash to, yeah. to you know, buy that stuff. And he was actually saying, well, sure, you can do those big bad moves and stuff. Um, the way they have executed and operated and thought about it was, hey, we're really strong in the Nordics. We're really strong in Germany. There's a, let's just say, quote unquote, competitor in France. Yeah. They're kind of doing the same thing, kind of a similar product, but they have a full sales operation set up in France. Yeah. And they had 20 people. Yeah. Um, you know, MA is a big word yeah. for acquiring something with 20 people. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, he was basically, and, and I think operation that makes total sense, he was basically balancing out, okay, do I want to buy this thing for probably, I don't know, two, three, four, five million euros, half cash, half equity yeah, yeah, yeah. or something? Um, or do I kind of want to burn the same amount of money with much more risk yeah. trying to, do, you know, op- trying to figure it out? You know what? <laughs> Try and even just open a, a, a bank account in France, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Try no. and do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and then you have the office, you have the hiring, you have the go-to-market fit, you, have, you need to kind of... You know, try and have your your Danish sales leader listening to those French calls and and help them. Yeah, it's not gonna <laughs> Good it's luck. not gonna it's not gonna happen. <laughs> so basically, you know, if he was then saying like, "Hey, let's um, we can use that money to just operationally buy another unit." Yeah, basically. Yeah, and then merge it in. There's still issues. Um, we talked about, um, you know, the 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 cultural issues around it, and the you know, how do you think about you know if the if you as a company can even ingest that team, mm. and he was like, well, it's super crucial and critical, and they kind of scan for this and yada yada, but ultimately, what what kind of made super sense for me is like, yeah, we're also only looking for like teams that maybe 15 percent of our FTE count. Yeah, so it's like a very clear ingestion instead of like a, a merger of equals or something like that, right? So kind of that that de-risk this a lot. And I think this is where it gets a little bit clearer because it's so obvious to say oh they have a plan for what's next and when i say that it's obviously where's the next dollar gonna come from and this is the whole conversation right so i think acquiring this company in france you gain time you you gain access to so many things that propels you forward faster and it doesn't have to be acquisitions it can obviously be other segments it can be uh other other use cases and so forth right but they all had a very clear hey this is where the opportunity is it's it's enterprise or it's international or mm. it's a uh, use case. Mm. And I think it's just so clear to see that someone has clearly put thought into what are the moves we're going to make that's going to drive the revenue. No, absolutely. And I think kind of to kind of tie it back to some of the S1s, um, I, I would argue that these teams probably have put a lot of more thought into it than most of the uh, folks listening potentially. Mm. Right. And I think that's, that's really the takeaway is um, uh, are you, are you as a, and you know what, granted, this is not a, uh, director revenue operations, maybe, you know, thought track. Yeah. Um, but have you thought as a CRO, have you thought as a CEO founder, uh, are you thinking enough about, uh, you know, what's next? Yeah. What, where's the next lack of the, uh, where's the next growth curve going to come from? Mm. Um, and um, I think this is this is where, where we can see where those companies um, have been doing an excellent job. Mm. Ooh, some pretty cool stuff in here. I hope, I mean, you should, Try and Google some of these S1s yourself and try and read them. Yes. Uh, you can skip a lot of the financial stuff. 
stuff. There's so much information in there, but you can pretty easily find uh, find a lot of information in there that's going to be interesting yes. to you. And I think especially now that these these IPOs have happened, you know, a few years back, you can see how did it actually unfold for some of these yeah. businesses, which is which is cool. It's all there. It's all available. Yes. Um, it just takes some time, right? And that's usually takes some what, time. what the problem is. I think just to recap, right, uh, you checked out the S1s from Datadog, uh, Asana, Toast, and Snowflake. And uh, you really found three main things that, you know, uh, are common across those four crazy, awesome, successful companies. One is their business is structured to generate negative churn. Mm -hmm. While we talked about this being a strategic problem, not not only marketing sales and CS alignment problem. They, you know, number two, they have multiple sources of revenue and are able to add and add and add and add more sources. And sources in this case is different products, different segments, different motions, right? And then the last thing really is around um, that they have a clear idea and it's a strategic piece actually, a clear strategic but then tangible piece of, you know, how what what, what is going to come next, right? How, how can we prepare the next S-curve? Uh, where's the biggest opportunity? Um, and then, you know, they have proven that they can execute on those S-curves really well. So kind of really uh, having, having a good approach to this. Totally. So good to have you back in the studio, my friend. Of course. I mean, it's just, it's just what it is. <laughs> You're blushing a bit. <laughs> no, that's the, the pink sign. Oh, next yeah, to... yeah, too. Oh, they can't see it. If, I mean, you can watch it on yeah. YouTube, then you, yeah. you get the reference, then you get it. Wonderful. I think I'm going to take a pause from reading S1s now yeah. and do something more productive. But I hope this was interesting, insightful, and helpful. Wonderful. I thank- think it was. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks for spending the time. And uh, thank you, Miko. Thank you, Tony. Bye. Bye.